Hey, Chris Manning here from Locked On Cavs. Coming up today, Evan Damerel and I are going to talk about a wild and surprisingly competitive, surprisingly a Cavs win, a 125-119 to overtime Cavs win against the Miami Heat. Uh, that was a weird one, a wild one, but the Cavs win are now 2-1 and one under J.B. Bakerstaff. We're going to get into all of that, uh, specifically a lot on KPJ coming up today on Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. You are Locked on Cavaliers. Your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Cleveland Cavaliers select Darius Garland from Vanderbilt University. My, my, my. This calls the Kevin Love Show. Evan, uh, what a game, huh? I mean, I don't yeah. know about you. I watched that first quarter, and I basically was very sure that the Cavs were going to lose. They were a little scrappy in the second quarter. I'm taking notes and kind of being like, okay, like, you know, like they're, they're playing a little harder than I expected. Um, you know, lose the third quarter by seven. Like, they're kind of, and I'm like, okay, like they, maybe they'll kind of mount like one last little mini comeback here. The Cavs won the third quarter, thirty-one to twelve. Unreal, frankly. Um, yeah. Then win overtime, fourteen to eight. Win this game by six. With Kevin Porter Jr. scoring career high thirty points off the bench, nine of eighteen from the field, four of seven from three, eight of ten at the free throw line, eight boards, three assists, three steals, a plus twenty-two, plus minus. You know, take it with a grain of salt, et cetera, et cetera. But he's clearly the star of this game. Um, mm-hmm. You had seven Cavaliers and double figures. An absolutely unreal game. What did you make of it? Um, it was a weird one for sure. I wasn't checked out like you were in the first quarter. I was waiting maybe till about halftime, and I thought like, okay, yeah, this one's starting to feel like it's out of reach. Like it was granted, it was close at halftime, uh, and Cleveland only was outscored by Miami in four points by four points in the second quarter, but. I was just like, yep, no, let's just chalk this one up as an L and I'm ready to move on. And the way this third quarter started, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely getting out of hand. And then I don't know what it is, dude. Maybe JB Biggerstaff actually makes adjustments, unlike John Beeline. And I think he clearly does. I think he clearly does. Um, I think you just saw him like ride a very, he went to, I'm going to pull up the exact number of possessions to play because the the great Dan Devine from The Ringer tweeted something out that I just was like, excuse me um, about the, that three big lineup that we saw. Um, so according to Dan, this is from Dan divine per through cleaning the glass, the, that three big front court had logged all of five non garbage time possessions this season before tonight. So that's the, that's the lineup where it was Tristan love Nance with KPJ <laughs> and that lineup was what carried the Cavs through the fourth quarter and into overtime into a win. Like why just wild, unpredictable stuff from the Cavs in this one. Like they're like everything about this one is just frankly very hard to imagine like us you you predicting that this could happen in any real way or like that this was like a realistic probable outcome. 
Yeah, no, it's super weird. Um, I know Larry Nance is traditionally a power forward, and he plays a little bit of center, but I guess in that situation when you have him, Thompson, and Love sharing the floor together, Nance is your three, and then especially in the overtime period, you have Garland at the one and um, Porter at the two. So I guess it's a weird, funky lineup, and maybe, just maybe, like, we'll see it in certain situations, like in this Miami game, but I doubt we'll see it that often. But um, no. The, I mean, the, it it worked tonight, and maybe it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Duncan Robinson was laid out by Bam Adebayo because he was perfect in the first half from beyond the arc, and then was, I believe, ice cold. Yeah, no, he was ice cold in the second half. He was zero of six from three, and including overtime. So that kind of worked out in our favor, the Cavs' favor as well. But just I can't wrap my head around this because I was so sure they were going to lose, and. It's just a weird, funky game overall. Um, Andre Drummond not touching the floor for the majority of the fourth quarter in overtime felt weird. Um, it's just Colin Sexton kind of, you know, getting the hook as well. Um, it's just like stuff I'm not used to after watching John Bayline coach this team to on a slow death march for such a long time that maybe J.B. Bickerstaff is a little bit of a shot in the arm for this team. And he just kind of knows what is and isn't working, has a good at least he may not be the best coach record wise. If you want to look at it overall and his critics on the internet and everywhere else, but he at least it's clear that he has a pulse of this team and he was able to put together a winning situation. And it's the second time we've seen it at this point where that Washington game last week felt like it was out of reach, but JB Bickerstaff just kind of tinkered and worked with the roster and lineup and then found something that worked and wrote it into a win for that. And, it's weird. Um, I mean, granted, Miami's not a very good road team. They were pointing out their record, and you and I both watched this game at home, so I was watching it on TV, and John Michael and Austin Carr pointed out that Miami's not a very good road team, and uh, Philly's coming into town on Wednesday, and they're actually one road win better than the Cavs, which is actually that was before the Hawks win. So now they're two road wins better than the Cavs right now, which is still incredible if you want to think about where Philadelphia is at. But I'll take it. It's just, it's super funky, and like you said, the numbers kind of statistically back things up here, but it's just, I'm still wrapping my head around the just how Cleveland was able to pull this off, and it was just a lot of smart defensive possessions and just a lot of smart, intelligent basketball moves. Let's just talk about Kevin Porter Jr. Let's clear out, as the Cavs often did for him in this one. Um, oh, by all look, means. I'm going to say this just definitively. Like, I, it's certainly a little bit in the moment. It's certainly um, a little just reactionary. The dude is by far the best young player in the Cavs, and I don't think it's close. Um, That guy has come such a long way from the preseason, has come such a long way from training camp, is like so confident, is so poised, does not let these big moments shake him, plays so much more under control than he did. Um, It's just has the gumption to just go for stuff that I just like cannot believe that a 19-year-old is able to do. Plays 41 minutes, a team-high 41 minutes. Mm-hmm. And is just absolutely like running the offense for stretches is making all these big shots, almost makes a game winner um, when, when he just kind of had to go make a shot and he came very close to making it and, and waiting the, and hitting a game winner at the end of the buzzer. Um, absolutely by far, I thought the best performing Cav knew it. I think Larry Nance was great in this one. I thought um, Darius Garland, who gets you had some really big plays in this one. Kevin Porter Jr. was the star of this game and everyone mm-hmm. else played supporting roles and, and contributed and did stuff to kind of get this team a win. 
this is like the game where like I think if there was any doubt, and I think for you and I there was very little doubt about what Kevin Porter Jr. could be, it's sort of gone. And Kevin Porter Jr. is just an absolute stud. Um, and this is just this is the this is probably when we when we look ahead to the end of the year for me, and you think about what this year has been, I think this is just without question going to go down as like the single most impressive perform. I, I it, it would take a lot, I guess, for someone who surpassed just what he did in this one, because I just cannot believe that it worked in funneling the offense through him and letting him just kind of cook and, and rely and running some kind of like isolation, one-on-one pick and roll basketball stuff with him and just kind of letting mm-hmm. him cook and it worked and he lived up to everything about it. It's, inc- it's just really, really incredible for him to do that. No, absolutely. And, you and I have both been advocates for KPJ, but this is a game that you and I both can definitely put a feather in our cap of saying that Cleveland absolutely 100%, without a doubt, neither of our minds got a seal at 30th overall, considering that they traded multiple second-round picks and cash considerations to get a guy that they viewed as a top-10 talent. And I think at this point, if you want to rank the 2019 draft class, you would obviously have like Zion, Ja, um, RJ Barrett is putting up a good night against for the Knicks tonight, and he's been consistently okay. Um, but if you start breaking down like the nitty gritty of this list, like of course Darius Garland, probably you can make a case for a top ten talent. But no, the Cavs scouting department was one hundred percent right. Kevin Porter Jr. was a top ten talent. That um, character concerns that seemed like they were extremely overblown during his time at Southern California. Um, allowed him I, to I have not heard a overall. Sorry, not to cut you up, but I just I'm saying any Cavs person I've talked to, any nope. like person in the league I've talked to has not said a damn bad thing about Kevin Porter. Nope. They think he is an absolute perfect player to teach and mold, and it's also very polite to us. I just want to yeah. say that, yeah, no, I, like, like just like brownie points, but like my guy respects respect. I remember one time, yeah, one time at practice. He, after he kind of spoke with the media, he shook hands with me, Spencer Davies, and Kelsey Russo. And I thought, like, you know, that's really nice that he did that because no NBA player goes out of their way to thank the media for talking with him. And obviously, like, he's a 19-year-old kid, and he's still processing and growing. And it's definitely fascinating to see with a full summer's offseason worth of work with strength and development and just kind of – Focusing in maybe on some of the rough patches in his game from his rookie season, I'm very intrigued to see what we get from a sophomore Kevin Porter, and I'm just really excited to see what he has and has and brings to the table at that point. And no, yeah, no, I think a lot of NBA teams definitely screwed up letting him slip to 30th overall, and I'm very, very, very happy that Detroit was comfortable trading that pick to Cleveland because now I understand why Pistons fans are so bent out of shape that they traded Kevin Porter. <laughs> Yeah, I would also just say, like, it helps to have, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of reasons to criticize the Cavs ownership and the Cavs front office. Like, the fact they're willing to spend money and pay, like, a record amount of money to get Kevin Porter Jr. is just, like, a, that's a really useful thing to have in ownership. So, like, if you're going to, like, if you are going to be a very probably too rich human being, like, at least spend it on picks to get really good young players. That's that's my take. That's this is my extremely boring, uh, predictable take. Did you have a favorite Kevin Porter Jr. thing from this game? Is there anything to you, whether it's a stat, whether it was one play, anything to you that you're just like, dang, like this is just like what the, the play that's going to stick out of my mind from this one? Well, I mean, the game as a whole was super duper exciting, but when he hit that three-pointer to, it was either to take the lead or tie the game in the fourth quarter, like 
that was such a momentum shifter and like it just kind of felt like everything was coming full circle because I remember pre-draft and after Cleveland drafted him, there was a legitimate concern with his outside shot. And yeah, he still doesn't have a very pretty release. And that's something that the Cavs maybe need to work with him on in the summer. Maybe not to the extent like the Philly, like just as an example, Philly did with Markel Fultz and completely break him. But he, this is his game where like we, you and I talked about this during the award show where I made the case where like he had that big night against the Rockets where it kind of mm-hmm. put him on the page, like on the map. Like people say, like, okay, maybe Cavs fans aren't just blowing smoke up everyone's ass just about Kevin Porter being a phenomenal rookie. Like tonight, he made his case to say, like, no, I'm legitimately a good rookie in this rookie class and y'all need to start paying attention to me. And I hope that's kind of what we have going forward. And, it's also a pleasant surprise because he did seem like he was playing a little bit overwhelmed and like he was trying a little bit too much in these last two games. So for him to have a bounce back, bounce back game like this at home was just definitely awesome to see. And for him to be the key reason why Cleveland was able to win this game, just as icing on the cake for at least you and I as big members of the Kevin Porter Hive. For me, it's the step back that he hit to tie the game at 104. Um, there's like five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And just um, I've, I have the clip up like right now. I'm just I just keep I've been watching it like a, a bunch. And so he's he's gone guarded by Kendrick Dunn, who gives him like a little bit of space. But he's late. It's late in the clock and he's dribbling and he just he knows he has to create something. And he does a step back where he basically he goes like way back. Like this is like a like a heart. Not I don't want to say hardness because that's unfair and like or anything like that, but he has, he, he goes to this move in his bag. That is like not an easy thing to do. It takes confidence to make and just absolutely strokes it. And when the ball's like, like at its peak in the shot and it's like at its highest point in its arc, Kevin Love puts his arm up mm-hmm. and Kevin Love is like, that's going in. And this ties the game. The The building absolutely erupts. And I just feel like it's a, it's just like one of those things where the justification of leaning on this 19 year old, baller to do yeah. what he did is just it, it was well deserved and i i just cannot like he he could he could he there's like a chance he just goes out and struggles wednesday struggles oh, later yeah. this week whatever like he's 19 the dude's talent i think is just so clearly undeniable and if you like want i i think that what he is and how far he's coming everything like that it's this it's it's the defining positive story of the cap season is that kevin porter jr they have someone that i think like if we talk about this um, with with James Rapine on Monday, but it's just like if you're gonna tell me like who's the best player in the Cavs in five years, I don't I don't think I would I was like okay maybe Garland, you know, but I I don't think I'm certainly colored by this game. I do not I don't think I would pick anyone else other than Kevin Porter Jr. right now. This this is the game where it's like I I I I don't think you can walk back the belief in him at this point anymore. I cannot wait to kind of dive into what he did. Um, and, and make sense of it on, on Tuesday and some probably hopefully, you know, make some time to write about it. No, I agree. And I'm thinking about what we talked about with James and I th- know for a fact, I said, if the Cavs have a top pick, I would feel more secure with that just it's cause it's a bit of more of a crapshoot and like, you can look like a genius with the power of hindsight. If like the Cleveland lands a top pick and he ends up being an absolute baller, but I said, there's an outside chance Kevin Porter could be that as well. And I know James said Darius Garland and, you and I both agreed with him that Darius Garland does have a legitimate shot just because of his skill set overall archetype, but And we'll get to him because I thought he was quite good in this one. No, I agree. I mean good games overall for Cleveland's rookies, but like you said, um this is just a game like Kevin Porter could go out 
on Wednesday against Philadelphia and kind of lay an egg. And I think, you know, that's okay because it's a part of the rookie growing pains that comes with playing, like, especially a team like Philadelphia. It's very lanky and very tough defensively. And I'm granted, Brett Ben Simmons is out, but you still have Matisse Thibault and Tobias Harris. And I mean, Joel Embiid is protecting the rim. So that can also impact KPJ's slashing ability. But I'm just going to savor this moment. And while you were talking, I promise I was listening, but I did tweet from a Lockdown Cavs account saying that we're both in a good mood. So savor this moment. So I'm just going to enjoy this while I can. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what movie I would be because I'm clearly not Joker now. I don't know. Uh, maybe Detective Pikachu. Maybe I'm just like the, the, the ball of energy that is, that is Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, come back and talk about more things from this game. Again, this is Lockdown Cavs for Daily Cleveland Cavaliers Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Okay, Evan and I are back here on Lockdown Cavaliers. Evan, uh, let's talk about Darius Garland. So he, in this game, um, plays 40 minutes, the second most on the team, 5 of 12 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, had 7 assists, two against his two turnovers, 2 steals, 5 boards, 14 points, made a very – had a couple big plays late, notably I thought the the, – the, I think the play that will stand out is the the play that was uh, a goaltending call on Bam Adebayo was kind of the big one there to kind of um, ice, kind of help ice this game a little bit. Had some really big passes and just kind of looked very comfortable, very patient. Um, one of the things I, th- I I was thinking a lot about when watching this game was just I, I thought you know certainly I thought he played better than Sexton for most of this one, but I I really wondered. Like that, his patience. I wonder if that's just like an attribute that really mattered in this particular game, and that it was good to just have a a guy kind of leading the ball handling, all that stuff. Who was just comfortable, kind of being a little more methodical. Um, and I thought he kind of proved his salt a little bit in this one, and got at least at the very least, even if you didn't love everything he did. I think you just look at the reps he gets out of this one, and you ha- you cannot be unhappy with kind of how what what Darius is going to get from a game like this. No, I agree. And you said the goaltending. I mean, that play where Bam Adebayo got the goaltend, especially all things considered, Adebayo had a <clears throat> absolutely filthy block on Garland in the first half. So it was kind of nice to see that. But I think the move that impressed me the most with him was when he kind of had the patience just to have that up and under move where he scored an easy basket. Like, it's just little things like that with Darius Garland and. I've preached this for a while now. I've written about this and I've told people this just offhand and on Twitter and everything else that like Garland is putting together a lot of solid building blocks for a rookie season. And granted, he's not able to put it all together to say like he is a John Morant level point guard. But then you have to consider the fact that again, he played a handful of games for Vanderbilt. He didn't play in summer league. He didn't play in preseason. His first exposure to playing like actual organized basketball, if you consider who Vanderbilt played while he was there with, I think, U.S. was Kevin Porter and Southern Cal being like the most legitimate team he played. And then you have to consider that as well. Like he's been growing and learning as a kid against grown men and tonight like you got to see a lot of what what probably made him so desirable for the Cavs with the fact that he is rapidly approaching Cleveland's rookie record for three-pointers made which Colin Sexton broke last season I think he is 
17 short on the year, and the Cavs have plenty of time for hopefully him to break that record at this point. And his playmaking has always been sharp, and he's just kind of always had like a quiet confidence and a subtle patience to his game where I've just said like he may not peak out at Steph Curry because for some reason that was like a hot take over the summer that he could be the next Steph, just Steph based on his three-point shooting ability. But like I know I think I read somewhere that Tristan compared him to a young Dame Lillard and like I've heard from scouts that they remind him of Dame Lillard as well, and maybe he won't ever reach that level because Dame is an absolutely absurd player. But Darius Garland tonight, like this was a good night for him just to, again, put another feather in the cap for Cleveland's rookie class that maybe the Cavs will be all right going forward. They're not going to be great right now, but there's strong foundational pieces that if Darius Garland is able to build upon what he's put together in his rookie season, that he could turn this around to a pretty stellar sophomore campaign and then erase like the last bit of doubters that he possibly has. What else stood out to you from this one, Evan? <sighs> from Garland or just overall? Overall, let's let's look at some other pods. I think there's a lot to really like about this one. Certainly some stuff we'll have to see how it plays out going forward. But, um, what other what other kind of positives to, or performances or anything stood out from you in this one? Uh, another positive that I really like is J.P. Bakerstaff. Like we touched on, he probably does make adjustments at halftime, but he is definitely comfortable with riding the hot hand. Um, Andre Drummond did come here for two expiring guys in Brandon Knight and... John Henson, and then a second-round pick. And Drummond only logged 24 minutes tonight, but then Thompson and Nance off the bench. Thompson with 29 minutes, Nance with 32. Tristan had 15, 9, 3. Hit a three-pointer. Nance had 16, 8, and 2, with two steals as well. Um, I'm welcomely... I'm very happy that the Cavs are just kind of making these competent adjustments. I think that's just... It's so silly to say, but like... Maybe people who don't listen to us regularly or people who are listening for the first time don't know. Like The Cavs have not been a competently or well-run team for the majority of this year. And just like little things like this make it a lot more palatable for me to watch if the Cavs just kind of make these smart moves. And that's what I'm happy with. I am concerned what they plan on doing with Andre Drummond going forward, but I'm just going to ride the wave of this fun win because I didn't expect Cleveland to win this because Miami is a very good team. And um, we'll just kind of see what happens going forward, but... That is something I've noticed that Bakerstaff has definitely leaned on Nance and Thompson a lot more in these closing moments, especially in close, tight games like tonight. And then his first game as head coach against Washington. And I'm welcome and open to that idea as long as it produces results. And so far, he's two for two on it producing results because that Miami game, um, when Dwayne Wade got his jersey retired, got out of hand really fast. So I don't really think you can take much stock in that. So what about you, though? What is something that you uh, definitely noticed? Larry Nance Jr. continues to be really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he was probably the second best player overall in this one. Eight of 11 from the field, eight boards, three on the offensive end, five on the defensive end, two assists, two steals. Um, just a complete energy was just dunking. And, um, you know, one of the things he did really, really well that I thought was was key when the game kind of got bogged down was he was getting Duncan Robinson in the post and he was just scoring on him every time. Um, Mm -hmm. just him going to that little hook shot, just going to dunks, just going to these little quick moves and using his athleticism, using that size advantage inside really worked. And like, you're not going to do that all the time. That is not, you know, modern efficient NBA basketball, but like having that in your tool bag in your box and your bag of tricks to lean on when you uh, need that to sort of happen is really, really nice to see. Um, 
they needed that and they just needed Larry to kind of produce and he's good on the defensive end. Um, you know, he, he, and I think every big, I think there's like some of the, that three big lineup is not something I'd want to see continuing going forward. I think some of the switching uh, issues you could have there is just going to be an issue, but for this one, like it worked. And again, it played like five possessions before that this year. It's not something we, you know, that figures to be like a fixture of the Cavs going forward, but like Nance was really, really good. And, you know, I thought he, he just continues to like, ever since he's come back from an injury, I think he's just been one of the better players, you know, on the team. Um, and I don't think there's like any real doubt about that to me. Um, the other thing I'll just say is Colin Sexton, you know, is not going to be a, a headliner out of this one um, is not going to be someone we are particularly thrilled with. I think coming out of this one, but if you want, I, I will just say to his credit and I know how competitive that guy is and everything. Colin yeah. Sexton is out of this game you know he makes a play at the end of regulation that costs the almost could have cost the Cavs the game he misses a box on Kendrick Nunn Nunn gets the offensive rebound scores and we go to overtime after KPJ misses and everything Colin Sexton if you watch overtime is the closest guy to the floor where he can stand as a player cheering he's very engaged he is um just the first guy out of timeouts to go in and cheer all this stuff he mm-hmm. was really, really just engaged and didn't like powder or anything like that. And like, again, like I'm sure he would have loved to be out on the floor. I'm sure all of that yeah. stuff is, is just factually true. Colin Sexton, like I, I think is just a pretty incredible thing for him to just do that. I, I, I don't want to like overhype that, but I, I just think that matters in a way that we don't always acknowledge. Um, quite enough that, that that kind of stuff does like actually matter in this sort of dynamic. And I think it was really kind of cool to see. And just overall the bench having 61 points a season high in this win is just like, it's just again, an unexpected, really positive thing for this group. Uh, to be fair, the bench having 61 points are <clears throat> the three biggest guys in this game in Porter yes. Thompson and Nance. But I definitely agree with your Sexton point, especially all things considered when you have, a few key veterans, not naming any names because it's a, it was a nice win that our um, advocates of bad body language and make the body language please come out and kind of notice they're genuinely unhappy with their situation. So, yeah, no, Colin has always been a competitor. He has been a guy like you and I have discussed where he's a man of few words. He just likes to go out there and play ball and then go home and think about how he can't wait to play ball again. And I'm sure it definitely stunk for him to only play 28 minutes tonight and maybe not be available or not called upon in the fourth quarter and into overtime as well. But to see him just being like a big cheerleader and just riding the wave of this energy and just kind of keeping these good vibes going. Like that's definitely something that you like to see, especially from somebody who has is in his sophomore season. It shows a lot of maturity and growth overall. And I'm definitely okay with that. And like you said, like he definitely blew that box out. It could have blown the game for the Cavs overall, and I think we would be having a very different conversation if that was the case right now. Mm. And oh, if that was the if that if they had lost the game, there is no doubt in my mind that that um, I think would have been the 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 dominant talking point coming out of this one. I think very fairly because there is like no defense for him missing that rebound. Not literally at all. None. Literally none. Not at all. And like you said, I jokingly tweeted saying I never doubted the Cavs for a second. You'd release a text just to tell everyone. I said, um, <laughs> I actually, I tweeted you LOL first when I assumed the game was like just going to go badly. So I, I'm just really owning myself yeah. here. No, look, I'll just out myself entirely. I t- entirely. I texted Chris saying like, 
the Cavs are Michael Scott and I'm like Meredith Palmer. I and you're the reason why I drink. And then Chris is like, say that on the show. And that's when we hear both resign to the fact that Cleveland is going to lose this game. So like I said, everyone just savor these good vibes because they don't come often on here. Cause I was definitely ready to be a Debbie Downer coming on to this tonight. So, um, yeah, I mean, we had, I had been like, Hey, let's just talk about like franchises. You would want the cat. Absolutely. Because we just haven't, you know, you and I don't, th- I've had that conversation. I've thought about that a bunch you and I have not, you know, like talked about that. Um, so yeah. I think it's certainly kind of uh, I think that's very, that that's just like a fair thing for, we could have easily done. Um, okay. We're going to take one last break here. Come back, talk about Drummond a little bit, talk about um, other things coming out of this game. So stay tuned for more Locked On. All right, Evan and I are back here on Locked on Cavs. Um, Evan, Andre Drummond, um, I think, had another bad game, was just, again, out, thoroughly outplayed by Bam Adebayo. If yeah. there is one negative, and I think it's just sort of unavoidable, um, unfortunately for us, and we have to talk about this. Um, he's not been particularly good with the Cavs so far. The fit's weird. I don't think... I don't think any of the players really know how to throw him passes as of yet. Like, I don't think there's mm-hmm. the comfort factor there. I, I made this point um, I, over on, on the, the hell website, but um, I, I think the Cavs would really benefit from having like a playoff ask couple days to just like run some practices and like really just develop a rapport and kind of game plan around how to get Drummond in there because yeah. I don't think they know how to do that. I don't know this and I've gotten like a little pushback on this when I've asked people about this, but it seems like it, there's a little bit of like him just kind of doing stuff he wants to do in certain instances. Um, mm-hmm. But you look at like Garland and there's like, you know, he'll set a screen for someone. He's not necessarily rolling. Um, all the way hard. He's like kind of popping a little bit. There's a play here in with Sexton where like he popped and like the D- Duncan Robinson correctly just darted down and kind of cut off Sexton with Bam and then we're like passed it to Drummond. There's just like some toughness where they don't quite know how to work him in yet. It's going to be an ongoing thing. You know, it's it's unlikely that I, th- I think it's probably semi unlikely you get through this year and have a good idea of how he fits in a really, really positive way. But um you know, the, the, the retur- early returns have been um, kind of discouraging if you're hoping that getting Andre Drummond was going to be a big boon for the Cavs, I think. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's definitely weird. Um, I did notice early into the game that the Cavs kind of was like they were trying to force feed Drummond a little bit to kind of get him established. I don't think that's going to work. Um, just because of Cleveland's personnel right now, they don't really have a truly – I mean, yeah, we've talked about how Darius Garland shows these flashes as a actual point guard and a franchise lead guard for the Cavs, but we're still waiting, obviously, and it's probably going to have to be after the summer where he puts it all together. And um, Austin Carr, weirdly enough, um, probably the biggest and most biased Cavs fan out there, has made it a point to point out that like Drummond has had some pretty bad body language once he's not getting the ball, and he is quick to try to just do whatever you want whatever he wants, like you said, and this is a good way to segue to shout out to friend of the pod and my boss at Hoops Habit, Duncan Smith, when he tweeted back at me saying, when he, and he as an Andre Drummond gets the ball less, he's incentivized to score more points each time he touches it, and my concern is Drummond took four three-pointers tonight, and he made two of them, and I still don't think or want the Cavs to encourage that to be a regular shot in his offensive repertoire. 
And I'd rather him be a pick-and-roll big man who is running towards the rim and making the offense a lot easier for, like you said, like he kind of just floated off and made it more of a pop situation with Sexton, and Duncan Robinson was able to read the situation and close things off with Bam. But this is going to, one, unlock things for these young guards and make things a lot easier for them. And two, it's going to make Drummond's life a hell of a lot easier and he's going to be able to put up these gaudy box scores like he used to in Detroit where he's averaging like 20 and 20. And then maybe, just maybe, J.B. Bickerstaff is then comfortable and the coaching staff is comfortable to let him play down the stretch instead of the fact that he just kind of has really bad body language. And, and this is me punching up a little bit, probably punching down, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But he's got a case of the Kevin Loves right now where he just kind of looks like he's disengaged after a while and he's not getting his way and he'll just kind of do whatever he wants and it could be detrimental to the team and that's where I get a little bit concerned. But like you said, maybe after like a tough, exciting win like this, the Cavs can kind of ride this momentum and kind of get these vibes going out in practice and they kind of still try and figure out what they can and can't do with Drummond and maybe this problem fixes itself. But yeah, no, it's definitely something to be concerned about if this problem continues. Yeah. We'll see how that works. Um, Certainly we're going to get a pretty, um, let's say, um, a feisty matchup on Wednesday between him and Joel Embiid. That's going to be something we're going to see. They certainly have a a beef history there. Um, So we'll see how that plays out. A couple other things from this one. Kevin Love is now the Cavs all-time leader, Evan. I just learned this um, watching the the broadcast on my other on my other computer screen here, or my other the other half of my screen. He's mm-hmm. the new Cavs all-time leader um, currently, based on a streak he's going on right now in con- games with consecutive three pointers made. Do you know? Do you have a guess about how many games in a row he's hit more than one three pointer in? Um. It's when's the last time he said this is is this not including like this doesn't mean like it's just games he's played in. Okay, because I was gonna say like if this is just consecutive games overall, like is he sat out. No, I have no idea how long has it been. Thirteen. Oh, good for Kevin. That's really good. good. J.R. Smith um was number two with twelve, and then Kyle Corver has the third and fourth spots on that list. And Wesley Pearson is rounds out the top five. No Kyrie, no LeBron in that one. It's probably one of the rare things where LeBron's just like not not in there, which is just pretty kind of remarkable to see that that's like not a thing there. Um, At the same time, I'm also not surprised Kyle Korver made that list twice. No, Kyle Korver, a, a true, a true, true Lord. Um, the other, th- I guess the other kind of, per- any other performances stand out for you from this one? You know, we saw um, Delhi a little bit. We saw, um, you know, I thought Osman, you know, the, the shot form looks good. Just only was one of six. You know, six minutes for Dante Exum. I liked the pace he played with, but then he just kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of continually weird thing. Tristan remains just an excellent player. Hit hit a three pointer in this one as well. Um, just certainly plays. You can just tell like when there's just a big difference when you see Drummond come off the floor and Thompson comes on. The energy level is just so so different. Um, mm-hmm. But for you, when you look at this, anything anything else you saw that you're like, okay, this this really stood out to me from from Cavs Heat. Well. To your point with Jetty, like this has just kind of been him his entire this entire season where he has peaks and he has valleys and sometimes the valleys last longer than the peaks and maybe we're about to enter the valley a little bit with Jetty and that's okay but as long as the Cavs like are able to consistently perform outside of Jetty just kind of struggling I mean I don't know if we're gonna get thirty points a night every night from Kevin Porter so 
we'll see what happens going forward. But I do legitimately feel bad for Dante Exum. He had a very nasty looking ankle sprain at in the first half, and he was. Oh, I totally to... missed that. So good, good on you for making me for for making sure I, I actually I wasn't just about to like dunk on him for no reason. So thank you. No, 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 no problem. He, um, it was a bad ankle sprain, and then he tried to walk it off, and he sat back down, and the Cavs had to burn a timeout, and then I think Kevin Love and Delhi had to help him walk off the floor, and he went into the locker room. They said it was an ankle sprain, and I hope it's nothing serious. I legitimately feel bad for Dante because I like the potential that he has as a player. I think he could be a fun defensive point guard who could move the rock and just rounds out Cleveland's um, guard point guard rotation at least with Garland and Sexton to an extent. If you push Sexton to a six man position, you have Exum dispel Colin a little bit as with Colin's lack of playmaking overall. But he's battled back from injuries many times before. But I start to worry with how many times Dante Exum has been injured, like the mental toll it takes on him. Um, I think about Andrew Luck a lot in that situation where Andrew Luck got beat up so many times that he just couldn't mentally put himself through the rehab process anymore. So fingers crossed that this isn't serious for Dante. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions and being super dramatic. I'm sure people let me know if I am, but it's got to be tough if this turns into an ankle injury that keeps him out for the foreseeable future for him to just say like, well, I got to start over again and I have to re- go through the rehab process and hopefully I'm healthy and then something else could pop up. And then it's just like a, you start doubting yourself. And we have seen consistently solid Dante Exum games since J.B. Bickerstaff became coach. And that was something I was looking forward to um, just to see what he had going forward. And it's just been definitely, it's, it just definitely stinks to see that he's hurt and I hope he's okay. But on a positive note, um, I did tweet jokingly. Um, Jay Crowder had a solid night overall with 16, 9, and 3 that him getting a four-point play on the draft pick, uh, in parentheses, let's put Colin Sexton here, um, that was part of the parade package for Kyrie Irving, just kind of felt like poetic at that point. That's also when Miami was really pulling away in the first half. But it's I've always kind of liked Jay Crowder as a player, and I don't feel like he was used properly in Cleveland. I think in a system like Miami's, he could be a really well, a really good option for them in reserve for Jimmy Butler and just off the bench. And I really like what Miami's building, and they clearly blew this game in spectacular fashion. But um, I'm just I I'm really bullish on the Heat, and I make fun of the whole Heat culture thing and everything, but. It's something I wish the Cavs could have, and hopefully it's something they can obtain in the future because it'd be really nice to just say, like, Cleveland's able to churn out quality players through their G League staff, their G League organization, and through their player development staff. And they're consistently solid enough that if the opportunity, like a Jimmy Butler or a star player, comes along and wants to sign with you, like, you can kind of go all in on that and maybe capitalize on a weekend Eastern Conference. And I think that's be a position, and that's something we can definitely discuss in the future where. Like you and I touch on this, like when we were texting about like stuff, like what teams do you like the Cavs to be, and like I think Miami is certainly a team that Cavs, the Cavs could try and mirror in terms of where they're going with this rebuild if they want to find a direction. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, we're gonna I'll wrap up. We'll wrap it up here on uh, two questions, and I'm gonna ask you. I just wanna. I don't want. I don't want Evan. Well, I want these. These could be future. Well, one of these I think could be future show. So just give me kind of yes or no. I'll answer as well after you do. Number one. Does this game, does this kind of performance happen if John Beeline is still the Cavs head coach? Absolutely not. Agreed. Number two, 
is this is, is this like we, you and I are, have already sort of stated our opinion on this. People that have listened maybe know that already. But considering what he just did, um, and it feels fitting that we're going to end on KPJ, is it time to, to start him and, and change the starting lineup in some way to get him in, into that starting five? See, the thing is, shout out to Justin Rowan. He does make a good point where KPJ will still get his minutes no matter what. But I think... J.B. Bickerstaff really believes in Kevin Porter, and I think, yeah, you could definitely make a case for him to join the starting unit. I agree. We'll talk about it more. Um, hopefully, I think it's just Kevin's going to continue to be one of the big things that we are going to be watching um, in this ongoing Cavs season. But that's going to be it for this episode of Locked On Cavs, a.k.a. the Locked On Kevin Porter Daily Podcast. Um, Evan and I will be back. Evan, yeah, it's it's what we should be talking about all the time. We'll be back tomorrow. Um, Evan, just give a real quick tease about what you the conversation you, you have coming up tomorrow. Well, I have a friend who, if people follow me on Twitter, I harass often whenever Tristan Thompson makes a three-pointer when a certain point guard for Philadelphia who is out with back injuries right now fails to make them. And he is going to be joining us tomorrow to talk about the Cavs rebuild because he actually, I think because we're pals, is more or less interested in this Cavs situation and talk about where Philly's going right now because Philly's definitely an interesting team and I think it's going to be an interesting matchup on Wednesday. Yeah, you'll have that. That conversation will be in your feeds tomorrow. We'll have a bunch more coming up later this week. Um, a lot of games this week, so we'll certainly have nothing. Sh- uh, we'll have we'll have a lot to talk about for Evan and I as we kind of dive this week. But for this episode um, on Locked on Cavs, this is your show for Tuesday, February 25th. I am Chris Manning. Follow us along on Twitter at Locked on Cavs for all your Locked on Cavs and Cavs needs. Evan's on Twitter at n.evan. I am at C. Dobin Wright, and we'll talk wait, to you tomorrow. Wait, 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 Chris. Bam oh said to Ira Winderman, this can't get worse than this. So... <laughs> What a win for the Cavs, baby. Wow, this is the peak, guys. We talked about valleys. We talked about peaks. They've demoralized the Bam out of bio. We, we, this is the mountaintop. This is, this is Mount Everest. This is, this is the moon landing. We'll talk to you tomorrow.